You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. Shark, we've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. Shark! Yeah, they're all gonna die. The shark. He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eyes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. everybody and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone and today we have a show having to do with collectibles. The first part of it has to do with our posters of the month and the posters we are tackling this time around are Jaws, the original classic Jaws poster and Saturday Night Fever. Yes, we're going back to the 70s and we'll see what kind of information we dug up, you know, having to do with these two super super classic posters then we will be jumping around a little bit with six inch figures which will include some black series star wars figures some NECA figures and some other ones it's a combination of all of these different figures that have been kind of finding their way towards me or the other way around and uh you know how they fit in my collection and how they kind of uh, stack up, you know, when it comes to their accessories, their packaging, and all that fun stuff that I consider when I'm purchasing these things. So, let's begin with our posters of the month. You can collect them all! You are a toy! Batteries not included. Just get those wonderful toys. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Is that the Six Million Dollar Man's boss? It's Oscar Goldman. Why do you have that? That's worth a lot of money. That's much more valuable than Steve Austin. Action figures each sold separately. Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Some assembly required. All your favorite Star Wars heroes and villains. I have three of each. One to display, one to open, and one just in case. Okay, for our first poster today, we are going with a classic... As classic as it gets, we're talking about Jaws. This is a super classic poster. The particular one I'm talking about is the one that has been done by Roger Castell. Castell is also known to 
poster enthusiasts and to Star Wars fans as the creator of the Gone with the Wind inspired Empire Strikes Back poster. I know I keep threatening to talk about that poster one day, and I will, because that poster has such a marvelous history. But before we got to Empire Strikes Back, he took a crack at Jaws. Now, the movie Jaws comes from a book written by Peter Benchley. And the book itself, the art that was used on the book, also went through a number of iterations, which kind of ended with Roger Castell. The poster that I'm talking about is a very iconic poster, which is you see the shark from the bottom kind of pointing upward, and you see a swimmer, a woman, who is nude, swimming up on the edge of the water, and then you have in big, broad, red letters, Jaws. The one that I own, of course, is a reprint. Pretty nice-looking reprint. It's funny, because I ended up having two copies of it from different manufacturers. I'm displaying currently the nicer of the two. I don't understand how I ended up with two. The poster, as I mentioned, has that iconic, almost trademarky kind of art. This is a piece of art that ends up in a lot of the merchandising of the film and the promoting of the film and the marketing of the film. You name it, that piece of art, it is super iconic. The poster itself, it's funny because it has this white border at the very edge and all the way up top. It says, when in Southern California, visit Universal Studios Tour. It's funny that they're they're promoting the, the studio tour. I mean, this is something, again, back from the, I guess, from the 70s and the 80s, you know, we do that. The top of the poster has a, a black thick border where some of the information for the poster is also resides. Up on the top, you have the sentence that says, the terrifying motion picture from the terrifying number one bestseller. Then you have all that art we just talked about. Then below that in the black border, which is most of what you see in the bottom part, I would say the the bottom quarter of the poster. You have the stars of the film, and the placement is really interesting. On the left, you have Roy Scheider. Then in the middle, you have Robert Shaw. And then on the right, you have Richard Dreyfuss. Now, Roy Scheider and Richard Dreyfuss are at the same height, but Robert Shaw is slightly higher, which could potentially most likely means that even though he's not the star of the film, I would say Roy Scheider is the star of the film, but probably for contractual reasons uh, having to do with the particular uh, deals that were made, he would have a slightly higher up billing, which is a thing that happens. And we, we talked about it in the past, how sometimes unusual how certain names get to the top of the billing while other names are not in the top of the billing. And the most typical example of this is, I believe, Batman. It was Nicholson and Keaton. Nicholson was playing the Joker. Batman was played by Keaton. But Keaton at the time got second billing. The rest of that bottom part of the poster has all of the typical, you know, starring so-and-so and as a Nook Brown production and Steven Spielberg. And famously, I mean, again, this was the 70s. This was a PG film, which means parental guidance suggested. But it also has, next to the PG rating, a little blurb that says, maybe too intense, and the word intense is underlined, for younger children. No kidding. This is definitely a movie that if it was released today, it would have been a PG-13. Obviously, PG-13 didn't come till almost, geez, I've, 10 years later, I think it was, around... Around the time of Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom, and Gremlins, I think, that's when PG-13 popped. 
with, you know, having to do with some of those films. But uh, today, you know, when you do watch Jaws, it is kind of like a, wow, I can't believe this is a PG movie. It's a fantastic movie, don't get me wrong, and it's classic, but it does kind of like make you scratch your head a little bit. What's interesting about Jaws is that this past summer, we were able to go see a re-release, anniversary re-release, I don't even know, 40-some years or something like that. I don't even remember what, what number they were giving it. And the way that they promoted the film or celebrated the film re-release was that they converted it to 3D. And I believe they probably did a little bit of a cleaning up of the of the negative and all that stuff, or a little bit of a refurbishment. But being able to see this movie in 3D was really, 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 really a treat. Especially nowadays that the 3D craze has kind of gone away. We don't have the 3D fanfare that we had, you know, around the time that started when, you know, Avatar uh, had come out. Speaking of Avatar, we recently saw Avatar also in the theater in 3D as another anniversary thing, but I get ahead of myself. This is Jaws, a movie that had never been put out in 3D. And it's almost like a little comeback in terms of, I don't remember ever seeing Jaws in the theater. And obviously I had never seen it in 3D. This was the first time they put it together in 3D. I wonder if that means that they will eventually put it out on 3D for home video, which... I would be shocked considering the fact that there is practically no more 3D being sold in any shape or form, whether it's televisions or DVD players or, you know, you name it, even the media itself. It's it's very hard to find. But anyway, that is part of the reason why I chose this particular poster was that there was this re surgence, uh, you know, re-interest in Jaws. The only thing I have not done that I know sometimes people do is that they'll do a screening of Jaws in like a lake or something and you're floating on a little <laughs> inflatable while you're watching Jaws. Yeah, I think still up to this point, I don't know if I could handle such a thing. I don't know if I could handle watching a movie at night in water, floating in the dark, and that movie on top of everything being Jaws. I don't even know if I could do that in a pool, to tell you. But anyway, so the history of this poster is so longer than anticipated or that I ever knew about. You know, I figure this is just something that was drawn for the movie, you know, to promote the film. But then I noticed that, wait a minute, it's on the book. Because I don't know how many episodes ago I had reviewed the book and, and compared it to the movie in terms of how it's different or the same. You know, what things are not there and that kind of thing. But... Off the bat, I remember that particular copy of the book that I had. And I bought the book probably on eBay, you know, uh, a used version of the book. And this is the paperback I'm talking about. It has the same art, you know, as the movie poster, except there's a couple of different color changes and, you know, things are laid out a little differently. But it's essentially the same piece of art. So in the research that I did, I, I actually found out that the publishing company at the time, they kind of knew they were going to have a hit on their hands. The book, you know, there was like a bidding frenzy for the movie rights and the book, you know, was a hot commodity that was about to be, you know, unleashed on the reading public. And I guess sometimes you can kind of tell when they have a good book on their hands. I mean, I guess if you're a good print editor, you know, if you own a a book company, you kind of know when you have a good book on your hands. Well, these people knew they had a good book on their hands. I believe the company was Bantam. Again, these are these companies that might not necessarily be around anymore, but they're names that are very familiar. You know, if you collect old paperbacks and that sort of thing, this was right there. 
So from what I understand, the first time around, you know, when they were trying to figure out the promotion of the book, they just had the word Jaws and the name of the author, Peter Benchley. And, you know, they kind of went around the room and they said, all right, well, you know what? Jaws could mean anything. It could be something about a dental thing, which is, it's funny because that's a thing that comes to mind. I remember when you think about it, especially in the seventies, when you get to the mid to late seventies, you know, with the James Bond movies and you have the character of Jaws and his whole thing is about how he can kind of, you know, kill people with his teeth because he's, you know, that's the kind of crazy assassin that you have in that series of films. But that was an unusual name. So they kind of agreed that we need some kind of art here. We need to do something else. And one of the first things that were suggested that they tried was having the picture of the shark's mouth and inside the mouth having some kind of a portrayal of the island, of Amity Island, of this, you know, nice, calm place, but the whole thing surrounded by teeth, you know, the mouth of the shark. So they did a few comps, I guess you could call them, of that, and they looked at them and they just did not like them. They weren't crazy about it. The artist that they used was Wendell Miner, or Minner, not sure how you pronounce it. And yeah, it was kind of weird. There seems to be two versions floating around that I was able to find. Hopefully I'll be able to post some of these pictures. One of them is basically the jaws of itself, like the mandibles, kind of a little bit, a little bit, a little bit like what you see actually in the movie. There's a scene where you're, you're in, uh, in Robert Shaw's shack and the camera kind of pans over to the window, but you're seeing what's happening outside the window, I think through you know, an open, you know, the bones of a jaw, of a shark jaw that's there, you know, on display. So that's kind of what this initial book cover looks. You have the jaws, again, this is again against a black background, with out there you see a little bit of water and the island, you know, a couple of buildings in the island. So yeah, that's different. I mean, that's interesting. There was also a version of that, I believe it says here that it was used for the UK edition. Now, Keep in mind, we're talking about hardcovers here because we're not even in paperback world at this point. This is the first release of this book. And there's a UK cover that is a little more um, descriptive, I guess you could say. You have the outline, uh, not a perfect lifelike, but more of like an outline, all white, of a shark opening its mouth, kind of coming towards you in a way. And inside the mouth, they have a still photo of a beach. Uh, now, I couldn't tell you if this beach is from the movie. This might be just like a generic beach and there are people like standing by the shore. And from what I understand, this was used for the first edition of the UK version of the book. Again, this one is credited to Minor, but they ran it again, you know, through the, I guess, the board of... Uh, of the book company and I think Doubleday was also somehow involved in this too because at some point I think these companies kind of changed hands or something like that so they're out there taking a look at this one and they're kind of like well it's good but we want a little something that shows more of the shark because we want to see the shark and there was some back and forth between you know, well, there's just not enough room to show a whole shark on a, on a book cover, especially with the title there. You know, you're, you're kind of running out of space. It's, it's, there's just not enough real estate there. So at this point, they approached another artist. His name was Paul Bacon. And what he did was 
he took the same black background with the word Jaws, and it says a novel, that you had just with the mandible one. And instead of just the Jaws, he has what looks like to be the bottom of a shark with the mouth slightly open and a swimmer up on top. You don't see water. In other words, you don't see the edge of the water. The swimmer seems to be kind of swimming in black, empty space, just like the shark seems to be approaching from the bottom, but it's all black. The shark looks a little weird, and they kind of made a little bit of fun of it, the fact that it looked like some phallic object, (laughs) because the shark, you don't see its eyes, you don't see its nostrils like you do on the one that they finally used, and it kind of looks like a, it almost looks like a finger. (laughs) kind of pointing up kind of point a pointy finger it looks like something made out of clay it just it looks weird but they actually did use that i believe at least in its first release of the hardcover so the book is a complete success it's a blockbuster if you will you know you're talking stephen king level success here you know when it comes to books so At this point, they still are not happy, you know, with the art that's being used. So as they get closer to putting out the first paperback, mass paperback, first edition, and this is where, at that time, you know, books would really go nuts, is when they started publishing paperbacks and first edition, second edition, 17th, 25th, you know, all those editions in paperback, that's when they said, you know what, let's find someone else who can kind of work with this concept but just make it pop a little more make it a little more something that's in the direction that we want it to go whatever that means (laughs) you know what i mean so this is where you get roger castell come into the picture now castell had already had a relationship with this book company with doubleday and as he was delivering on a different project you know some work he was offered to work on jaws on the paperback version, you know, of the art. So what he apparently did was he he didn't really have anything he could work with. So he went to the Museum of Natural History in New York, but just couldn't, you know, based on the displays that were there, he just could not come up with anything specific. But he was able to get kind of like a behind-the-scenes look at an exhibit that they were working on but hadn't been on display yet, where there were many different examples of of sharks, and that's where he kind of came up with what you see on the poster. It's a combination of a whole bunch of different types of sharks. It's not just one that he's like, boom, that's the one. No, he kind of cobbled together a couple of different ones to get that one. I know that I always wondered about the teeth because I always felt, especially after seeing the movie, I always felt like, you know, when you hear of shark teeth and when you see in the movie, this is a very triangular, squarish, not very pointy and long, but kind of like a like a square triangle, and it's got all these serrated edges. But for the poster, you're looking at something that has very long look. I mean, it, to me, it, it always reminded me of knives. It looks like there's like a thousand knives coming out of that shark's mouth. And I always wondered if that was a little more creative exaggeration, especially to make it more of a horror, you know, theme, motif, especially since you have the the swimmer, the nude swimmer up on the top. For the book, again, for the the art for the book, they kind of stuck with the original overall 
placement of all the art, the letters were not red like they are in the movie poster. They were blue. There is really no crazy red notion in there. And the other thing is that the art, the color of the water and the shark are a very, I would call it more of a green bluish tint to it as opposed to the lettering on the word Jaws, which is more blue. Again, this is little nitpicky minor stuff that changes when you flip over to the poster. Now, one of the things about the book cover is that the swimmer, even though it is the same swimmer, you know, it is the same piece of art for both, in the book, you can kind of see a little more of the nudity of the poster, especially in the breast area. In the movie poster, I guess to kind of tone it down a little bit, he added a little more like foam to the water so it covers the chest area a little more. It kind of diffuses it a little more so it's not as graphic, I guess you could say. When he switched from one to the other, it's pretty much the same thing. You know, they were they asked him. They actually asked him and the book publisher, if for the movie version, because again, the movie was, they were, they auctioned that thing pretty, pretty fast and, and they knew they were going to get a lot of money for it. And once the, again, the movie, once they realized they had something good on their hands, they wanted to kind of benefit from the popularity of the book. So they asked permission to be able to use that art. And the answer was yes. In a way, the book company really didn't mind because by using the same art, they're also generating publicity, you know, for their own book by putting it on a movie poster, especially, again, at the time, Spielberg wasn't the, the, the giant that he became, but at least you have these big stars and, you know, up on top, it says number one bestseller, you know, you're, you're hyping the book and in the bottom, you know, when you have the, the music, you know, you also have based on a book by Peter Benchley, so... It's a little bit of a cross-promotion thing that's happening, which is pretty smart, I guess. Once again, like I mentioned before, the only main difference uh, between that final book cover is that the word Jaws is in big red letters. You know, there are like graduate level papers that have been written on how this poster, you know, makes you focus on certain things and it, it kind of guides you on what it wants you to look at and in what direction and what order. There's a whole bunch of stuff written about you, you know, what a, what a fantastic, smart poster this is. And, you know, yes, there are these multi-level things about the poster that is fantastic but just as a somebody who enjoys these films and enjoys these classic photos and these classic pieces of art this is a great poster there is a story on the internet that's been there for a while about how somehow the original painting has been lost or stolen somewhere <laughs> Because it was apparently lent out to some um, museum exhibit and it was, again, lost or stolen. They have never been able to recover it unless it is sitting in somebody's vault somewhere. There's also a story about how between Bantam and Doubleday, they kind of ended up at one point suing each other for the rights of the poster or the rights of the design of the poster. Yeah, there's some there's some crazy stuff that happened, you know, aside from... The- creation of the poster that you can't you know you can't make this stuff up what's interesting also is that the art that was done by bacon even though they continued on that design of of you know where things are placed the swimmer is wearing a bathing suit in that one it's when they moved on to the next level the next one up is that they decided to use the nude portrait of the swimmer and this might also have something to do 
with the fact that the movie was uh, depicts a, a nude swimmer. So it could have been that too. Another interesting fact is that the book cover was banned in Boston and St. Petersburg because of the nudity of the swimmer. One article also that I found states that the swimmer, the girl on the, that he painted, was 24-year-old Wilmina model Allison Mayer, and the shoot was one of her first jobs. Her name now is Allison Stern, who married real estate developer Leonard Stern, and is now a prominent philanthropist with an area named for her at the Central Park Zoo. According to the article here, she lay across two stools to simulate a swimming motion and was paid $35. <laughs> wow. She says that even though the poster at one point was on a giant billboard in Times Square, she had not been recognized at the time as that girl on the poster, and most people thought it was the girl from the film, the actress that played that character. So this is a great poster, again, if you're into collecting posters, to have, to get, because on top of everything... It is a very easily found poster in, you know, in the reproduction side. Granted, if you have the means, you could spend hundreds, if not thousands of dollars uh, getting more original, you know, actual versions of the poster. As usual, for my purposes, I'm more than happy with this reproduction. This particular iconography carried on to many of the sequels. Uh, like I said before, carried on to the merchandising, parodies, you name it, you know, this design is there and it's a perfect example of you know the story behind you know the final product that you get how it actually got to that stage the second poster i want to talk about is saturday night fever now as i mentioned many times before my whole thing about musicals i do not like musicals but every now and then something comes out that is a musical or i kind of throw it in the category of a musical granted saturday night fever is not a musical People do not stop in the middle of the story to sing a song that is very unrealistic. You know, they break the reality portion to be able to tell you something and dance and sing and, you know, parade around and that sort of thing. And as I mentioned many times before, a movie like Moulin Rouge, I love that movie. It's a musical. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Again, it is a musical. When people start singing out of nowhere, it's a musical. Well... I like to kind of think of Saturday Night Fever as a musical, and I know it's not. But with this film, there is definitely some very iconic imagery. And what's funny about the imagery is that what I'm talking about is the poster. And the poster is also something that was used. The art from the poster, the photography from the poster, was also used on the album of Saturday Night Fever, a variation of that poster. Now, the poster we're talking about here is John Travolta wearing his iconic white suit with the black shirt with the big triangular lapels the platform shoes posing with his hand up in the air with his other hand on the side and the top where he's touching you know the top there's like a light up there it's a little star warsy as far as i'm concerned and you have his girlfriend dancing next to him she's looking at him but he's looking straight at the camera he's looking straight at you and this is in the discotheque featured in the movie, which is, uh, I think was Odyssey 2001 or something like that. And you have that crazy, crazy lit up floor, the disco floor. On the top, you have a sentence that says, where do you go when the record is over? Dot, dot, dot. You have that big picture of him and her. He's there posing. And in the bottom third, I guess you could say, of the poster, Saturday Night Fever. The font is very... Very 70s, 
almost kind of neonish, I guess you could call it, the way that it's drawn. Then you have the entire credit parts, you know, Paramount Picture Presents and John Badham directs, John Travolta stars, original music written and performed by the BG soundtrack album available on RSO Records. Read the Batten paperback. Well, there you go, Batten again. So this is a movie poster that even for the 70s, you know, this is something I always complain about how we got away from the art and more into the photography. Yeah, even for the 70s, they were already kind of getting away from it in this particular example, let's say. And this is completely something that most likely was done as a photo shoot, a promotional thing for the film. Because again, he is kind of posing for the camera. And the art and the the photos and the photo that was used also is part of what was used in the soundtrack. The soundtrack has like a, when you open it up, there's a couple of pictures of Tony in there. Not only does it have a lot of pictures of the movie itself, but in the middle of it, you have a series of pictures of Tony, John Travolta, dancing or posing. And this is all, again, for the camera. This is not part of a scene in the movie. This is something that's done for, you know, for the audience, for promotional purposes. There are other posters available, obviously, but you can kind of tell that the picture that they used for this poster was part of a photo shoot that would have been used for a different type of promotional material. The cover of the album, for example, which I'm not technically reviewing that right now, but it does use the same Tony pose. It has the uh, the floor, the lit up floor, but for the album, they... I think they kind of used a different floor. Maybe it's drawn in because the colors are so much more different. And obviously in the background, you have the BG standing there, which clearly they were not in the movie. But yeah, that white suit is like the trademark of this movie when it comes to the promotion of it and the merchandising of it or anything you do with it. It all comes from that. Now, there were other posters made. They had some promotional posters. They had some like... I would call them teaser posters, which is a teaser or a coming soon kind of poster, which is basically that same shot of Tony without his girlfriend on the side. It's just him. And the photo is kind of duplicated many times till you get one of just him. And it does say Saturday Night Fever, same logo as before. They, you know, they stuck to the logo. And it says Saturday Night Fever, catch it, opens December 16th at a theater near you. Are restricted just like the one that that I have that's very important that's very important and we talked about this once before because once Saturday Night Fever exploded in terms of how popular it became and let's also remember and this is something that we kind of touch upon a couple times here or there this is the epitome <laughs> you know the height of disco in terms of it being portrayed in a film in all reality and this is something that I, I, you know, I watched some documentaries about it, especially the the Bee Gees documentary that I talked about a while back, is that the disco era was very brief. And by the time it hit the big time, which is this movie, which is this album, which is the, the Bee Gees being at their disco height, it all kind of collapsed on itself. So I would say as soon as this was over, that was the end of disco. But... Saturday Night Fever was the epitome of it, the, the pinnacle of disco. Now, because the movie was so popular, they also re-released the film at one point as a PG version of it. And I told the story before that back in Uruguay, when Saturday Night Fever was popular, uh, this is 77 we're talking about, so it might have gotten there late 77, early 78. 
I couldn't see it because it was an adult rated film. I don't remember what the age limit was back in Uruguay. I don't know if it was 17 or 18 or whatever. And I told the story a million times of how I couldn't afford the record. The record was a little expensive, but you always had the option when buying records that you could buy them without the cover. You could buy just the record, you know, and the sleeve stays in the store. I guess they resell it to someone else or something. Uh, and that's how I bought my Saturday Night Fever albums were just the two individual you know, discs, but I never had the cover for it, which is something I did when I got here. I bought it. I have it actually framed here and it's on a, it's on my wall. Well, at some point, I don't know if they did it in Uruguay, but here they re-released Saturday Night Fever cut down and there's a poster for it. Apparently that I've, I've never seen this poster before. And it says it is not rated PG because we want everyone to see John Travolta's performance because we want everyone to hear the number one group in the country, the Bee Gees, because we want everyone to catch Saturday Night Fever. And once again, you have that weird multiple image of Tony that you had on the teaser poster, which is also on the main poster, Saturday Night Fever, and underneath it says dot, 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 catch it. So that is how they promoted it. You know, the same kind of poster, except this time around the poster is white instead of a dark background poster. And it does have a PG-13 rating on it. Now, you also have, just like with most posters, you have the different versions of it in terms of, you know, if you're watching this in Britain, there's the quad posters, which they kind of, you know, for American posters, it's usually uh, what you call the letter <laughs> portrait, the letter as opposed to landscape, you know, the landscape, it's either portrait or landscape. Well, in Britain, they, they're more into the side to side, wide, then shorter, up and down, and where they can kind of take some of that information that usually on the poster is reserved for the top and the bottom, and they throw them on the sides. So that's another way of kind of looking at it. These posters were done by an agency. The agency at the time was called Dienerhausen, and they were an advertising agency that handled a ton of studio material, including MASH, Serpico, The Godfather, Saturday Night Fever, Rocky, The Pink Panther. So this concept of agency is nothing new. A lot of agencies also work with art, you know, instead of photos. But that is why also, as I mentioned many times before, you sometimes kind of lose the name of the artist. So for example, I couldn't tell you who's the photographer, you know, who put together this thing, who, who did the collage, who did the design, who actually designed what picture should be used in what. You know what I mean? It's kind of hard to say. But this poster is what you would call one of those iconic 70s poster. If you make a movie that takes place in the 70s and you have like some kid's room, for example, you will probably have a Saturday Night Fever poster, that famous Farrah Fawcett poster, you know, stuff like that, you know, or the Rocky poster. That's kind of like in the direction these things go or a poster for Serpico. <laughs> you know, very 70s, very pop culture centric again this is the type of thing that's been mocked and duplicated so many times i remember the movie airplane has an entire sequence where they kind of make fun of exactly this scene in the movie and even the posing of the poster something that never really happened you know in the movie yes he did dance at one point you know in this outfit but he never posed for the camera <laughs> in the movie in this manner mine once again is a reproduction a reprint most of these posters, again, if you don't mind dealing with reprints, they could be anywhere between $15, $20, dollars So it's a great way, you know, to get your hands on some iconic, you know, art reproductions, you know, without having to spend the hundreds and hundreds of dollars that, that you would if you wanted the authentic pieces. 
I would suggest if you are into Saturday Night Fever and, you know, we've done shows in the past that deal with some of the aspects of the film. I think one of them might have been like our guilty pleasure films or musicals or or even the Bee Gees. There are a lot of resources out there. The DVD, I believe, for Saturday Night Fever, whatever anniversary version, you know, was the latest one, has plenty of documentaries that go into a lot of the making of the Bee Gees. That documentary that I mentioned from uh, like a, I don't know, one or two years ago, was amazing in terms of the life and death of them and uh, you know the family and the, just the progression of their story and their style and their music in terms of how they transition from one mode to another to another finally landing on disco and between them and this movie the per- it was the perfect storm it was the perfect storm you know when you take certain visuals and certain music and a certain period in time boom it was complete complete gold and you know all these resources are out there as supplemental material some of it is probably on the internet on youtube you can access them and again this is a perfect little snapshot you know a way to encapsulate an entire movie just like the jaws poster i was mentioning before you know it kind of grabs the whole movie and throws it into one picture and you know exactly what you're talking about with that picture obviously if you've seen the movie it helps but it kind of throws it all there for you and it also makes you wonder in terms of at least for me because i'm more of an art person as opposed to a photo person could this film have been done in art you know could the poster been done in art and yeah I'm, i'm pretty sure it could have i mean anything could be done in art but at the same time you know once you get used to a certain piece of art whether it's photography or brushes or pencils then it becomes kind of seared into your mind that that's it that is exactly the picture you comes to mind when you first think of that particular film okay we have a couple of new figures to add to our collection here that i wanted to catch up with and i know i mentioned a few of them indirectly on one of the previous episodes that there was one that was coming and it finally got here but let me start off with something a little different and this is something on the customizing side on one of the facebook groups that i belong to which is all about star wars customizable or custom figure making one person was selling zero the hut both on the three and three quarter scale and the six inch scale and i kind of had to jump on that one because for the longest time my friend james and i are always talking about how there is no love for zero the hut zero the hut was a pretty initially in both of our opinions a pretty ridiculous character he sounded bizarre (laughs) that tuman capote kind of delivery which was done on purpose but i think similar to jar jar a character that at first It was just a little over the top, but then it kind of started to grow on you. Zero the Hutt did the same thing. He started to grow on you. And as we would watch, you know, The Clone Wars, you know, we look forward to episodes with Zero the Hutt and all the shenanigans that Zero is up to. And we kept thinking about the fact that, well, you know, it's kind of inconvenient and it is not very simple to make a Zero the Hutt figure because, first of all, it is larger than your average figure, so you cannot really make a hut as a figure traditionally whenever they made a hut 
first through Kenner, obviously. It was sold as a, I don't know if you want to call it a playset, and it's not a vehicle, and it's not a, I guess you can call it a creature, but it came with the, you know, with the dais. It came with the, the throne that he has and the, and the hookah and with the bonus uh, Salacious Crumb figure, which is a great idea initially, if you think about it, to sell you this with all these other little extras attached. Wonderful idea. And then later on, you know, when Kenner turned into Hasbro and they've done many versions of Jabba the Hutt, they've done the special edition version and then multiple other versions that look a little more like Jabba the Hutt from Return of the Jedi as opposed to the special editions. You know, the prequels, I think they even made a pretty large six-inch version, you know, six-inch scale version of Jabba the Hutt, which is pretty big. But year after year, wave after wave, you know, after the Clone Wars kind of cooled down and sort of faded away, you know, for new shows and that sort of thing, nobody ever bothered to, to do Zero. There might have been a Lego version of Zero, I think. I'm not entirely sure. And I know that Rhoda technically exists because I'm pretty sure Rhoda came with an Ahsoka figure for the Clone War line. As a matter of fact, I have to see if my daughter has that figure somewhere in one of her boxes. <laughs> well, as I was saying, yes, I'm pretty certain that they really don't have much of an interest in Zero. Doing Zero at this point would be something so weird. It would be like a fan request type of thing. I've seen a few customized ones that people have manufactured that look pretty good. And then all of a sudden I run into this one. This one came from a guy who goes by Dark Castle Customs. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. And he lives in Mexico, I believe, because this came from Mexico. So what he was offering was a $100 version of the 3 and 3 quarter and a $140 version of the 6 inch, obviously larger. I went for the 3 and 3 quarter because that's the scale I prefer. It is not vintage style. Let's just say that off the bat. Even though I have him, you know, in my vintage case because to me it's it's just such a great prize if you will that it, it deserves a glass case treatment. <laughs> But anyway, what they've done here is, initially I thought that maybe this was made from an existing Jabba mold, and then he might have been able to sculpt the head, and that's a possibility too. It is possible that that's how it was made, that they've used a traditional three and three quarter Jabba, used the articulation of that Jabba, you know, and then basically sculpted over it. To add the extra details, especially the, you know, the face, the facial expression of Zero the Hut and, and all the tattoos and all those color variations that he has so that the figure itself, you know, the head rotates from the body, uh, the arms rotate. So you can call this a three point of articulation figure, if you will. Yeah, that's three points. It does have a few detachable items. It has a series of three rings on the tail, which I, again, I don't remember, but I guess uh, Zero had these like gold rings. And it also has something that I have to look up. It has a detachable, I don't know what you want to call it, a visor, a hat. I don't know what you call it, but it's this weird gold and purple frilly thing that kind of goes on his head and you can remove it. As I mentioned, the, the arms are completely posable rotating well as a matter of fact let me think i'm feeling there's a rubber band in there there's some kind of elastic to keep the arms you know moving in, in a certain direction 
the best thing about it is the facial expression because he nailed the facial expression of Zero, that goofy, crazy look. The colors are fantastic. There's the purple and the gray and the yellow tattooing everywhere. It is just a great, great figure. It is very light plastic. It is possible that it is somewhat 3D printed because the bottom of it seems to have a design, a grid kind of feel to it. So it is highly possible that it did come, you know, from a 3D printer. So again, I don't know for sure how it was manufactured. All I can tell you is that it is perfect. If Hasbro were to put out something half as good as this, I would have bought it. Yes, it is a little steep in the price, but I don't mind. Part of this was a, a gift from my friend, and I don't mind with the fact that this is most likely never going to come out because there's just not enough of an interest in this particular figure. You know, and I'll be keeping an eye on this uh, custom maker. There's so many new custom makers out there now that it is outrageous. Just it's just outrageous. The you know the, the quality of the work that that's that's been showing up lately. Next up is George Lucas in Stormtrooper Disguise. Well, this is one that I had previewed, even though I didn't own it at the time. Again, back when I did our last episode having to do with figures, and I think this, it might've been the episode of figures that are based on real people. This is a six inch, you know, the Black Series size Stormtrooper body with a George Lucas head. Now this, like a couple of other figures that we've talked about in the past and we'll be talking about today, is a little bit of a cheat because what they've done is they've used an already existing body and all they really did is sculpt a new head, if you think about it. And possibly a new helmet in order to fit the head over the helmet. Possible. The Lucas head is a completely brand new sculpt that I've never seen before, especially since this is the first time I think they did it for a six inch figure. We talked about, you know, in the past of the three and three quarter figures they released throughout the years, you know, with a couple of different Lucas heads. And uh, on our other episode, I remember we talked about the Filoni X-Wing pilot figure, which is really a most likely, I imagine, a Luke body, X-Wing Luke body with a Filoni head. Uh, well, here's a similar situation they did, I think. And that is that they used the body from a traditional Stormtrooper and they just popped in a new head. It's a great little anniversary kind of figure, if you will. The packaging, it, they did not use the usual black box packaging. You know, you guys know I'm not a fan of the black box packaging. For what they did here is something that they've been doing lately now is kind of like re-releasing certain figures on a card back, a six inch card back. And this particular card back uses the art of the Kenner Stormtrooper, the old Kenner Stormtrooper, you know, with a large bubble, you know, for a six inch figure. And it has the, you know, the Star Wars racetrack and the Star Wars logo. But in the corner left, you have the 50th Lucasfilm anniversary logo, signifying that this is a special figure. In the back of the card, you have a little blurb there, a picture of Lucas standing next to a sand trooper during the, I guess, the filming of Star Wars. And it says, George Lucas and Stormtrooper Disguise. We pay homage to George Lucas and his remarkable accomplishments in film with a likeness of the director himself, clad in the distinctive armor of Imperial Stormtrooper. And that is repeated a couple of times in different languages. I like it. It's cool. It's very similar to an older one that was released many years ago, too, that I have somewhere up here that I talked about last time, which is the Stormtrooper Lucas head. Personally, I would have preferred a Lucas 
as a director, you know, with his flannel shirts, you know, his checkered shirts and his jeans and, you know, stuff like that. This particular Lucas, if you look at the sculpt of the head, is more of a contemporary Lucas because his hair and beard is kind of grayish. It is not totally white, but it's more grayish, like salt and peppery, very salty, (laughs) if you will. So, yeah, that is something that, in a way, you're like, well, I'm glad they're doing it, but at the same time, it's like, why couldn't they just go out of their way a little bit more? Instead of recycling bodies, why can't they just give us, you know, the real thing? Give us, go all out and give us the director. Give us a director figure, you know? I, I honestly couldn't tell you if that would sell better than what we got here with the Stormtrooper version. Up next, we have the Boba Fett six-inch figure in the... Star Wars droids, animated droids style. Now, it's funny because this is one that I completely had forgotten about <laughs> ordering. <laughs> it showed up. Uh, and this happens a lot of times. I put on, because these orders now take forever. And this is something that I just recently heard somebody else talking about it. That is true. That this is what's happening now is that because we don't have the major toy stores anymore, the, the KBs and the Toys R Uses, you know, the only places where we can go shopping you know, in person is something like a Walmart or a Target. And those are not toy stores. Those are big retailers, you know, brick and mortar retailers that happen to have a toy section. So obviously their selection is never that great unless you're dealing with something that's exclusive to them. But even then it's a little difficult sometimes to find those items. Uh, You end up ordering, I end up ordering online. And that's what most of my stuff that I, you know, that I specifically look for I end up going just online in terms of ordering from an online retailer, like an Entertainment Earth or, or one, you know, something like that, or straight from uh, Hasbro. Sometimes they, you know, Hasbro Pulse or Hasbro, whatever used to be the, the Hasbro toy online store has now morphed into, or directly, like I said, you know, directly from Target, directly from Walmart, directly from even Amazon. You know, it depends on where you can find these things. And because these things are put out so much in advance, it's just ridiculous, you know, how much time it takes for these items to finally show up. The George Lucas Stormtrooper that I mentioned before, that was something that I had ordered, I think it was through Entertainment Earth, and it was taking forever. And then I started seeing it showing up in conventions and showing up in other places, and even at Amazon. And I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I waiting for these guys? And I contacted them a few times. Oh, it's coming. Oh, it's coming. Oh, feel free to cancel. And that's the other thing. They're like, free, free to cancel, you know, if we don't have. It's like, okay, forget it. Cancel it. I ended up ordering from Amazon, and I got it like three days later. Because for whatever reason, they just could not deliver it on time. But with that said, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm not using them anymore. I'm using all of them. But this is one of those that I had ordered a long time ago and completely forgotten about. And as I mentioned on the start of this conversation, this is the droids version. Now, granted, I'm not a big droids fan in terms of I do not collect, you know, droids figures, even the vintage figures. I do not go in that direction unless you're dealing with a character that is part of the original trilogy. So, for example, I think under this collection, the... I don't know if it's the A-Wing pilot or the B-Wing. One of those wing pilots kind of showed up. Uh, There was an A-Wing. I think there was an A-Wing released under the Droids banner, which is one that I'm still looking for, which I'll probably never find because it's one of those super hard to find ones, super expensive ones. That was part of that wave of, okay, let's see if we can kind of entice people into continuing to buy Star Wars toys, you know, beyond Return of the Jedi that, 
kind of floundered at the end. Now, the droids, uh, Boba Fett, is a little weird because if you think about it, and it's funny because I had confused myself. I was thinking out loud saying, well, you know what? They already did put out an animated Boba Fett already uh, many years ago around the time of the Ralph McQuarrie wave. But I have him. I have him up there. It's, it's, it's back there. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh, that's a shame that this time around they didn't include that that special weird gun with the the one that Mandalorian ended up getting <laughs> um, on, the, on the television show. And then I'm, I'm thinking about it. Wait a minute. I'm thinking about two completely different things. I'm thinking about the animated special, the holiday special that introduced Boba Fett. That's what I have back there for the three and three quarter inch. This is the droids animated show. So if you think about it, if I think about it, I think I ordered this by mistake because... I was still thinking of this being the original introduction of Boba Fett, and it's not. This is basically Boba Fett incorporated into the droids line, which, you know, I don't mind. I have him right here. And, you know, no big surprise here based on what I mentioned before some of the other ones. It is your generic Boba Fett, you know, six-inch Black Series kind of figure, just completely repainted. The gun is the same exact gun, just a different color gun. Uh, you know, everything is the same. Everything is exactly the same. They just did a repaint on him. They have released, and they are planning on releasing more Boba Fetts. I think the latest and greatest one now is a, I don't even remember, it's a three and three quarter or six inch, but it's the Boba Fett with, and the card back is the original Star Wars card back, but I think they're doing like a six inch version. I don't know, whatever. The point is that, uh, you know, yeah, yeah this one, I, I kind of... Uh, <laughs> I made a mistake. And it's funny because back then, I remember when they released, when they started to release some of these alternate paint scheme Boba Fetts. I'm talking about years and years ago, even back as as long as the Macquarie line. I kept saying to myself, hey, you know, they're going to just have to repaint all this thing. You know, they put out an old white Boba Fett and called it a concept Boba Fett. You know, concept artist Boba Fett or something like that on, a, on the black series line. And I have that one. I did get that one because, again, it had a significant... Um, historical bend to it which okay I, I i like that the fact that it's the old white one it's because of that that test screening if you remember that test video of of them trying out the costume for the first time now yeah you figured okay well maybe they've uh you know they've done some uh, modifications to the car and i think they didn't i'm you know looking at it from over here i think they pretty much stuck to the same you know it's the same mold. They just repainted it all white. You know, why why, why go out the extra mile and give you something a little extra? No, I don't think so. I mean, I can't really tell if the, uh, the little blanket <laughs> instead of the cape was used. But knowing Hasbro, why would, why would you go out and, get, and you know, give the, the fans a little something extra? Which is, again, my, the complaint that I had with the, with the George Lucas one and even the, the Filoni one. It's like, yeah, you use the body of something else and you just sculpt a new head. Wonderful. In this particular case, there's nothing new about this figure. It is the same old figure, except it's repainted differently. And it's nice. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's okay. It kind of serves both purposes in a way, but it is a different figure. It is a, it is a completely different figure as far as what I thought it was and what it is. Now, the only thing that I cannot criticize is the box, because I always criticize the six-inch Black Series boxes because they're just so ugly, black, you know, minimal art no bells and whistles on it. This one is the, I guess you can call them the book style one, like the Jackson one that we talked about a couple months ago, uh, which is the box where you can actually open the the top, the cover of the book, if you will, to reveal the figure behind plastic inside the box. And then in the flap, you have a little blurb in different languages, which is, with, uh, which is again, it's Boba Fett, with customized Mandalorian armor 
deadly weaponry and silent demeanor. Boba Fett was one of the most feared bounty hunters in the galaxy. Okay, there is some art inside of the animated show, a couple of the characters there. It does have in the cover, the cover of the box, the 50th Lucasfilm logo, the 50th anniversary logo on it. It uses art from the show, you know, Boba Fett there with, you know, with, the, with the droids logo. You have him on the side, you have him on the back, you have him everywhere. So it is a nicely packaged figure, at least. At least I can't criticize that about the figure. It's also uh, one of these things that, from what I understand, this is something that was announced a while back that Hasbro, I think, in general, is trying to move away from using plastic in their packaging. They're trying to go to an old cardboard kind of package. And for now, I really haven't noticed too much of a change as far as the plastic goes. You still have the plastic holding the figure you still have the plastic in front of the figure so you could see through it uh, so i'm not sure exactly how that's going to work out you know in the future in terms of you know you you get a box and you're like well what's in the box <laughs> you know what i mean how do you know that you're getting what you want you know in the box so that will be an interesting thing so once they they finally switch and i could have swore i heard something about how they decided that they're going to make an, one exception and i'm not sure if it's the three and three quarter vintage kind of figures or or the six inch figures or something they are going to make some kind of an exception to that rule but we'll see when that comes how it affects the packaging in general so overall I, you know i like it it's a nice figure it's a nice display for the figure it's a nice progression of the figure you know if you're if you're into the different stages of the boba fett costume i mean granted again you can go back to Django fett you can go back to you know book of boba fett there's so many boba fett costumes in that show even mandalorian obviously you're dealing with so many variations on the costume it's just nuts so this is just another one again i wouldn't be surprised if they do one more uh, one more which I'm sure there's a ton more coming, but at least another variation on this where the paint might be slightly different and they give him the Mandalorian gun because that's already been produced. All you got to do is recolor it <laughs> like they do everything else and put a new packaging on it and call it the holiday special Boba Fett, just like they did with the three and three quarter one that they sold years ago. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Not one bit. Now for something a little different, extremely different, actually. What I'm talking about here is a three pack, a three pack of Halloween 3 Kids in Halloween Costumes set. Now, if you look at the packaging, this is a little difficult to tell exactly what you have. You have to actually slide it out of the packaging, uh, which is kind of like a typical slide, you know, formation. The cover is all black, and it says Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, and it has um, the silhouette of the three kids walking, you know, against a red background, which I think might have been incorporated into the poster of the film. In the back of the uh, slide, you also have a big logo that says Silver Shamrock Novelties with a uh, three-leaf clover with a, you know, green around it. Again, this is all from the movie. And it tells you also, you know, what's included in the package about the, the characters that are, that are included and the uh, some of the accessories and, and whatnot. So you slide it forward, you slide it out, and you get the packaging which is your standard packaging the, the figures and the clamshell with the plastic cover and you have all the accessories in the bottom and let me tell you about what you have uh, as far as when you open them there's a kid with a skeleton costume and a skeleton mask there's another kid with a just a plain black costume and a pumpkin head on him and there's another kid which is basically wearing a witch costume with a witch head they all have halloween bags to carry some of them are better than others. There's two of them that are completely just plain brown paper bags. That's what they look like. And there's another one that actually has a trick-or-treat bag with a handle on it. 
I'm going to say that is the best one of all because you can actually fit it in their hand. You know, it has a handle <laughs> as opposed to the other ones that you have to squeeze them. So that might be something that I might have to modify in the future because it's easily they slide right off. The figures are completely posable. These are NECAs, first of all. Let me mention that off the bat so you know what kind of quality you're dealing with. The accessories are alternative masks. Now, if you're familiar with the movie, you know what happens with those masks. <laughs> it's, a, it's a horror film, and it's pretty horrific what happens with those masks. But you have alternative heads if you want to switch them to those heads. You also have a witch hat. I'm not sure exactly who would wear that witch hat. And you have a TV set. Again, very iconic from the film. And in the TV set, there's a lenticular of a jack-o'-lantern and the shamrock a logo this is part of the uh the movie what's really weird is that in the back of the tv there appears to be a slot for what you would put on a wall like a screw or a nail so you can kind of hang it on the wall flush against the wall it's kind of weird i don't know i don't know if anybody has, has looked into that it's funny there is very little sculpting in this other than the masks because the bodies are just generic bodies and they're all covered in you know for the most part black clothing uh, they all have sneakers and they all have a peg the biggest downfall no pun intended of these figures is that they have very weak ankles which is something that happens a lot of times with, with figures and they cannot sustain their weight so when you put them just completely without anything they completely fall apart you put them on a base and i've been purchasing a couple of these uh, NECA bases, which are very, they're kind of like the Star Wars ones I have, those clear, about inch and a half. But these are, they're about two inches, maybe even a little bigger than that. They're pretty, pretty wide there because they're made for the, the larger size, you know, the six inch figures. These are all kids, so they're supposed to be smaller. But even with a base, these guys are continually falling over. I ordered and I received, but I haven't applied it yet, a product, uh, a liquid, that is supposed to help with joints. It's supposed to stiffen up the joints, build up the plastic, I guess, or the, the, the stiffness of each joint. So I'm going to, in next couple of days, I'm going to try to test it out and put it in one of those ankles to see if it, if it kind of stiffens up the ankle enough to keep them standing. This is a very unusual set. I mean, it's a very unusual movie. I had seen this a few years ago, I think. I don't know exactly what year it came out. It came out a while back, and I passed on it because it was expensive. I think it was almost 50 bucks. And But you kind of kind of do the math. It's like you're getting three different figures for 50 bucks. So it's kind of, I don't know, what, like 17, 18 bucks a piece, something like that. Eh, it's borderline. It's kind of borderline. So I remember I kept passing on it, and I kept going back to the same Target store, and year after year, it was still there, it was still there. So, you know, this year I said, screw it. I wanted something new to put on my Halloween display that I do every year, for, you know, on, on the uh, kitchen counter. And it's like, yeah, these are perfect for that. But they're so cool looking that I wanted to keep them out there year long. And Halloween 3 is a movie that little by little, it has gotten more respect, I guess, than it originally got. It was a complete flop when it came out. It was completely out of whack, you know, <laughs> out of step with the regular Halloween franchise. And there's a whole history behind that you guys can, can listen to it when if you go back, you know, when we did cover Halloween 3. But it has kind of gotten a little more popular year after year. In this last series of Halloween films, they were referenced at least once before where there were a couple of kids dressed up like these guys and they all end up, I think they, they attack these kids or something like that but it does seem to kind of come back in a very subtle way and it's interesting it's a very interesting thing but yeah with the setup you know with the these three figures it's a, it's a cool little display you can build you know and, and like i said before i plan on keeping them past that time now 
Another thing that is really, really cool, and again, you know, me and packaging, in the back of the package, uh, which is the part uh, where all these figures are being held together, there's an entire art display of ordering these things through the mail, which it's funny because it's made to look as if it's a real ad for a real thing. And I do kind of remember a little bit that these things were for sale. I think they were selling when the movie came out, some of those masks, I think. I'm not entirely sure. Maybe I'm imagining it because of the movie. But here they do an entire layout of the three masks. You know, they show you the three, the jack-o'-lantern, the skeleton, and the witch. Then they show you the kids all, you know, in front of it. But it's not the kids. It's really the action figures. Then you have for sale the, the trick-or-treat costume, $39.95. The Boo costume, which is the skeleton with the, with the, you know, the skeleton body and all that stuff for $31.95. And the I'll Get You costume, which is the witch for $49.95. Uh, really cool. And then there's another picture of all the kids watching the show. Uh, in front of the TV. Again, this is the action figures posted in that way. And it says, don't miss the big giveaway at nine. Remember in the movie, they want everybody to watch with their masks because that's when everything goes crazy. And it says, it's almost time in the bottom. And you see the three pictures of the kids with the ugly masks, <laughs> the masks with the snakes and stuff coming out. And in the bottom, you have a little ordering thing, you know, a little ordering that you're supposed to fill out. And, you know, uh, please add 250 postage and handling. <laughs> And it says here, make it a happy, happy Halloween this year with Silver Shamrock. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Halloween is almost here. And you don't want to forget your mask. Silver Shamrock Novelties is your number one source for high-quality latex masks. The clock is ticking. Don't miss out on all the fun this year. Order now. And it's again, it's really, really cool how they they make this whole fake ad. And it's, it's the type of thing that, you know... I don't necessarily save these boxes, and, and right now I'm, I was just holding on to them because I wanted to do these reviews, but uh, I'm considering at least saving the back of that because that's a cool, you know, fake ad that's included here. Okay, the next one I have here is the Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader concept art edition, and unlike in the Black Series edition, basically, which is the larger format, and unlike the ones that I talked about before, this is one that was announced relatively not too long ago. Dare I say sometime this year, possibly? I mean, it could have been like San Diego Comic-Con or something like that. It was pretty recent. And I remember seeing it, and basically what we're dealing with here is the Macquarie concept version, you know, of Vader and Obi-Wan. Now, just like some of the other figures I talked about before, I have a version of this. Uh, let me see where it is. There it is. I see. There it is. And uh, where is Vader? Vader, Vader is right over there. Okay. These are similar to the Macquarie Edition 3 and 3 quarter figures that came out a very long time ago. <laughs> no pun intended. Which is the Macquarie concept drawings of what Vader and Obi-Wan look like. Vader looks... His helmet really is what really looks different. It has a more prominent mouth, you know, that triangular mouth section. And the Obi-Wan... Looks nothing like like Alec Guinness. Obviously, he's he's actually kind of like a bold character. He's wearing very samurai-ish kind of robes with a combination of blue and white colors. Completely, completely different. And the lightsabers obviously are not the type of lightsabers that they ended up with. As far as the hilt goes, this is more of a traditional, I guess you could call it, hilt. And the blade itself is different. It's thicker in the bottom and pointier in the top, more like a, a light sword. <laughs> which is one of the things they originally um, uh, referenced them as. 
So what you got here is a two-pack they created. And when it first came out, I was kind of like, well, you know what? I already own these kind of in a three and three-quarter scale. And I don't really want to fall down that rabbit hole because if they are going to go that crazy as far as creating more of these, and if they are going to just mimic what they already done before, you're looking at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, about eleven figures that they can come up with if they're just gonna mimic what they did before. But this time around in a six inch scale. Now, granted, as you all know, the six inch scale affords uh, being able to add so much more detail to these things and it's just ridiculous how good they look i opened these obviously part of it having to do with the fact that you know how i feel about the boxing the black series boxing packaging issue this one is a little different i guess because it's a two-pack this might be the first two-pack i've ever purchased i don't know if they've had other two-packs before but instead of it being just a plain rectangular box it's a little more display showy i don't know what you want to call it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there is no flap. There is no. This isn't a book-shaped one. It is more like a big giant square with two triangular ends, so that you know you can see the figures without having to open the the book cover, if you will. It is art-wise uh, the usual kind of disappointment. There is a black and whitish, and there is also a slight orange tinge in the bottom because that's how they kind of split these boxes. But on the left side, you have Obi Wan. And an artist rendition. This is definitely not a Macquarie art, but it's a it's a different artist rendition of what this figure looks like. And the Vader on the opposite end. On the back, let's see what do we got here. The same art is in the back, and the little little blurb here in different languages that says Ralph Macquarie's contribution to the look and feel of Star Wars Galaxy is immense. His unique style provided a visual language and guide for the saga's costume designers, set builders, location scouts, and model makers, and laid the groundwork for a consistent Star Wars aesthetic that is still seen and felt today. McQuarrie's work has and will continue to inspire artists and fans around the world for years to come. Okay, that's nice. Nothing special about the uh, the box container, you know. It, this is not the type of box that I would want to keep you know, that I would I'd probably get rid of it after after a while. Unfortunately, it is the only way to display them, you know, on the wall if I were to display them, but I'm not going to display these on the wall. These are going to, these are open and I have them in a separate section that are open so I can actually, you know, pick them up and that sort of thing. The Vader, uh, let me go a little bit more into detail. Yes, it is the Vader. I'm not sure how original the body might be. It could be a reprint of an earlier body for all I know, because it looks kind of the same. The only thing that's different, I know for a fact, is the helmet. The other thing about it is that this particular figure has an overall bluish tint to it. He is not molded black. He is molded in dark blue. And his cape is also a very dark, dark blue, which is interesting because you don't really see that color variation too much. And I'm wondering if the one, the the three and three quarter one that's all the way up there, I can't really reach it right now if they did also make it in a, in a blue hue the most notable thing about this uh, vader obviously is the head it's that original macquarie you know the eyes are a little more menacing the brow is a little more menacing and the mouth is like even more menacing than it ended up being the obi-wan again very similar to the one that had already been released in the three and three quarter scale is a completely brand new figure i imagine because i don't remember seeing this kind of sculpting on anything else the robes are new 
you know, the way that they fold and the way that they drape over the belt, the color, obviously it's all new. And the head is a completely new head that hasn't been ever done before. It's got a little bit of a uh, Jean-Luc Picard style because it's the bald head, but he has the, the white hair, you know, along the, the bottom part of his head. I don't know what you call that, a crown or I don't know. But, you know, these are meant to be displayed together because they're supposed to be in a, in a fighting stance between the two. And I don't remember exactly if in the original concept art and i'm thinking about it right now and i don't remember there being you know a big obi-wan kind of piece of concept art but i do remember that yes they did you know originally want this to be a completely different looking character you know more of a, a samurai influence the final figure and i promise you this is the final figure it is from the mandalorian and it is the john fabro paz Vizla figure now what i'm talking about here is a little unusual, I think. And I could be wrong, but hell, this is what I think. <laughs> a while back, when they started releasing the Black Series Mandalorian figures, one of the ones that they released, which I think might have been an exclusive to Best Buy or something, or one of these other stores, was the Black Series Heavy Infantry Mandalorian action figure. And this was one that, I don't want to say it was a little hard to find, but it was a little more expensive, I think, than your average figure. It might have retailed for a couple more bucks than your typical Black Series figure because not only is it a heftier, bulkier figure, it, the accessories, which you need them, you have to have them because it's part of the character, includes this very heavy backpack that attaches to his big giant, kind of like a Gatling gun, if you remember that episode. And in that episode, just like in the series, we never see the head, you know, the face of that character. Now, you could say that this is the same one the same character that shows up later. What we know for a fact is that John Favreau did the voice for this character. We never saw his face. However, if you guys remember back in, I think it might have been Clone Wars or something like that, one of those animated shows, they did create a Mandalorian character with John Favreau's face on it. And John Favreau is the voice of that particular character in the live action show. However, he had already done the voice of another character in the animated show another Mandalorian called Pre Vizsla. A little confusing, but apparently there's supposed to be two different characters. And Pre Vizsla was a kind of like an evil character, you know, fighting over the dark saver and all that stuff. But the bottom line here is that both in the Clone Wars, the face of the character was not John Fabro's face. And in the Mandalorian, which is the big part of the show is the fact that they're not allowed to show their faces. We never saw John Favreau's face either in The Mandalorian. We got his voice. So this is a a different kind of obviously to me if it falls under the you know the creators of the show behind the scenes kind of collection of that I like to have of people that are actually involved in the show. But in this particular case it's a little bit of a cheat. It's his, definitely his voice, but it's never his face. Unless sometime in the future they are going to show his face. That is a possibility. You never know. But this is another one of these figures, kind of like the uh, Stormtrooper Lucas and the Filoni in X-Wing outfit, that what they did was they just took the entire body <laughs> of the heavy infantry Mandalorian. They popped off his head. They sculpted a John Fabro head, which is great. They did an excellent job sculpting his head. They even made it a lot, I think, a lot thinner than he really is, which is a nice little compliment. The eyes are a little wonky. I think the eyebrows could have been a little darker. It's definitely his facial structure, but I think they kind of lost it a little bit in the eyes. Just a tiny little bit, they lost it in the eyes. 
But the rest of the figure, it's really hard to review because this has been done before. It's it's a fantastic figure. You know, his body is a lot heftier, a bigger, you know, you, if you remember from the show, it's it's a bigger character. It's a heftier character. And it also comes with a helmet that you can you know you can put over his head, which again, that's something else they have to do especially for this because, you know, you have to make the head a certain size so that you can fit a helmet without the helmet looking ridiculously too big. And they did. They did a good job at it. So, you know, between the two combination of things here, a brand new head and an old body, it's a good combo. However, the downside of this character is the price. They really upped the price. I believe it was close to 50 bucks, something like that, I think. You know, after shipping and everything, it's about 50 bucks because I think it retail for about 40. So to me, that's, you know, your average Black Series figures is somewhere between 20 and $25. Then they started to go up a little bit when you include a, a bigger package or a little more accessories. And that's what happened with the original Heavy Trooper because of the fact that it's a bigger item. It's got bigger accessories and blah, blah, blah. So they hiked the price. And now all they're doing really is changing the head and charging an additional, you know, 15, 20 bucks. Plus the shipping brings it to 50 some dollars. So... That is the downside of this character. It's kind of like, you know, I knew I was going to get him one way or the other. I'm just not happy with the price point. And they keep doing this. Every time they make such a slight variation to a character. Now, granted, I couldn't honestly say that they could do something more to it. In other words, I wouldn't demand them re-sculpting the body because the body is pretty much the same body. It's the same, same character as before, as far as we know. So that makes sense. My point is the price. Don't gouge us with the price when all you're creating is a new head and a new helmet. I mean, come on, guys. But that's the nature of the business, I guess. The packaging is very similar to that old Filoni packaging, which is a combination of a, of a slide. You know, you slide the, the package from inside a sleeve. The sleeve is all black, and it has the Mandalorian helmet and the, the cover as a silhouette kind of thing. That's repeated all over the place. Off to the side in an angle, similar to the Vader Obi-Wan one, you have a drawing of John Favreau with the costume, which, again, you've never seen this before. And it's a, it's a cool little drawing. I, one of these days I have to find out who's been doing the art for these uh, packages because the art looks good, except that, obviously, as usual, it's not enough for me. It does not <laughs> meet my standards. And let me see here. In the back, you have a bigger display of the art, and it says, John Favreau Paz Vizsla. Celebrate the creator of Star Wars The Mandalorian with this John Favreau figure dressed as the iconic Paz Vizsla. Favreau voices this brawny Mandalorian warrior just as he did for the fan favorite Mandalorian pre-Vizsla in Star Wars The Clone Wars. There you go. Bringing his unique passion and vision to a galaxy far, far away. So good. I'm glad they, uh, they at least in the back, you know, clarify the fact that he did play two different characters, very similar characters. They just don't mention the fact that his face was never shown. And it does say, dressed as the iconic Paz Vizsla. So in other words, I guess that's another way of saying he voiced it and now he's being dressed at it for the figure. Whatever. Who cares? The point is, we have it. It's a good looking figure. Again, the downside of the figure is the price point. They really should have at least remained with the original price point of the $30 range price point, let's say, because that kind of makes a little more sense. You know, you figure if your average one is 20 bucks and your slightly bigger ones with extra stuff is a little more expensive, 30 bucks would have been good. But 40 plus, shipping plus, you know, that's when it gets a little out of control. But we'll see. Like I said, I, I really look forward to if they are going to continue in this manner of making more, you know, like creator figures and that sort of thing. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. 
We started up with the posters of the month segment that we do every now and then. We hit Jaws. We hit Saturday Night Fever. Again, these are two great posters. I wish I owned the uh, original ones, but obviously I only have the reproductions. The history behind these posters, it's fun looking into, you know, what you can find. Obviously, in this particular case, we're able to find a lot more having to do with Jaws. And Jaws obviously being art, you know, that special qualification, if you will, that I like is when you're dealing with art. Because uh, as opposed to when you're dealing with photography that, you know, there's really not a lot you know that sometimes you can find with the Saturday Night Fever we you know we, we were able to find some basic information but with the when it comes to art what's cool is you start to see all the different renditions and all the different concepts and all the different you know the progression of how it started and in this particular case with Jaws it being a book as we mentioned earlier you know it, it really helped out in figuring out how we got to the final final super iconic product then we hit a whole bunch of six-inch figures, you know, the Star Wars ones, the Thing, and uh, Halloween 3, and my custom Zero the Hut, you know, all of these really unusual, perfect for my collection. And one thing I wanted to point out that I wasn't able to adjust during the show is that uh, that company, when I was ordering the uh, the Lucas Stormtrooper six-inch figure, it was not Entertainment Earth, it was Dorkside Toys. And the reason I mentioned this is because Recently, I saw a post talking about them having a going out of business sale. And it's like, okay, that would explain a lot why it was so difficult, you know, to try to get this particular product to finally show up. And unfortunately, I guess that's another, you know, online read. I mean, they were pretty big in terms of, I remember for a while, you know, you could order an entire case or an entire line of a specific, for example, like some of the uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi figures or the uh, Mandalorian figures and that sort of thing. Kind of like Entertainment Earth, you know, one of those kind of online retailers. But yeah, that, that would explain the why... <laughs> You know, it was so difficult to get that figure and I ended up eventually canceling it. And I remember another funny thing about it was that they couldn't refund me my PayPal money. They were like, oh, we no longer have a PayPal account. And you're thinking to yourself, you no longer have a PayPal account. How do you no longer have a PayPal account? So I can only get store credit. And that's how I ended up ordering a couple of Star Trek figures. But that's a whole other story for a whole other line that we're going to talk about sometime in the future. So... On behalf of everyone here, thanks for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Because we want everyone to see John Travolta's performance, Saturday Night Fever is now rated PG. Because we want everyone to hear the number one group in the country, the Bee Gees, Saturday Night Fever is now rated PG. Because we want everyone to catch Saturday Night Fever, it is now rated PG. Saturday Night Fever. Catch it. (laughs) 
if you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at Geekfest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! Geekfest Rants is produced by Carlos Perón, copyright 2022. <laughs>